HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, March 5th, and this is the ninth show of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, we're going to be talking food photography with two special guests, and as I do on every show, I will have my PR tip, speed round questions, restaurant news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip off the show with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to be prepared with photos. Yes, there is a theme for this episode. Photography is very important in PR. Photos tell a story, and people love visuals. I always tell my new restaurant clients that we will need great photos of the food, the space, chefs, owners, etc., as soon as they are photo ready. And by this, I don't mean photos that I can take with my iPhone, even though my phone does take pretty good pictures. I mean we will need professional photos so that when the media requests a high-resolution shot of the space for an article, I can send it to them right away. Most media publications don't have staff photographers to send to photo shoots, and they are relying on the restaurants to supply their own photography. So it's important to have professional photos available so you don't miss opportunities. And you can use these photos for other mar- marketing purposes, your website, and more. They'll be useful, trust me. So that's my tip. Get the best photos. And if you need a reference, keep on listening. As I'm so excited, because today I have two amazing freelance photographers on the show, both of whom I've met and become friendly with through the industry. My first guest is Melissa Holm, a food restaurant interior and portrait photographer born and raised in New York City. She was named New York Magazine's first staff photographer in its 40-plus year history in 2006. She is known to add fresh, original visuals to the magazine and website, 
which receives over 1.1 million viewers monthly. Melissa also works as an independent photographer. She has received honorable mentions from the International Photography Awards, and her client list ranges from Glamour to GQ to National Geographic to Wine Spectator and the New York Times. She is a graduate of NYU and self-taught in photography. Now, my second guest is Ken Goodman. He is a freelance photographer based in New York City who focuses mainly on food, chefs, rock concerts, and celebrity events. His images have appeared in publications such as The Wall Street Journal, Edible Manhattan, Gotham Magazine, and Art Culinaire. Ken also specializes in cookbook photography, including critically acclaimed Wicked Good Barbecue and the James Beard Award-nominated Come In, We're Closed. Prior to his career in in photography, Ken spent 20 years in the restaurant industry as a classically trained chef and restaurant consultant. He has a culinary degree from Johnson & Wales. So, welcome, guys. Thanks for coming out. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, you know, I, when I was come, wanted to do the show on photography, I, I was thinking it would be great to have both of you because, well, I think you both are fabulous, for one, and two, you have different angles, uh, where can you do a little more of the culinary event side, and Melissa, a, more print work from, from what I see. Mm-hmm. So... Let's let's start just with your backgrounds because it seems you both. It was more was it more of a hobby that got you interested in photography? It wasn't that, or did you set out? It wasn't that you were growing up and you said, "I want to be a photographer when I when I." <laughs> no, get no, older. It, it was never our goal. Um, but I don't think anyone gets forced into photography. No one, you know, is pushed into it. But um, I actually studied journalism. I was setting out to be a food journalist. When I halfway through, I decided I really liked the visual story more. So that's when I, I finished my degree, but I really delved into photography halfway through. Well, I think photographers, and you you have an eye for it, for sure. So um, as you were, you know, what, how did you get started then beyond just taking photos for yourself or getting some freelance work? I just really started shooting. I was the the avid, annoying photographer who wouldn't let you, your friend, who wouldn't let you touch your food until I took a million pictures of it. And I mean, it was really a humble beginning, but it was a lot of fun. So it really started there. And then when food photos weren't turning out the way that I remembered, because, you know, restaurant lighting is notoriously terrible, it's really yellow. I started reading books. I just started looking up how to do it right. I started gathering the equipment on my the small the small budget that I had. Right. Well, you were way ahead of the curve because I think now everyone's <laughs> taking photos of their food. Uh, but this was this was back. When did you when did you probably start back this? in two thousand three two thousand two before you know before blogs really took off. Like the, the people were starting, they still had Blogspot platforms right. and Zanga was around. And this is before. You know, I mean, Facebook was, wasn't nearly where it was now. Instagram didn't exist, nor did Twitter. I don't think face. I don't. I don't know what year exactly <laughs> Facebook came out, but you're right. Like these are the these are all new new mm-hmm. tools we so, now so use. So there were all no the outlets time. for it really for right. digital photography. I mean, it was just for you to keep in your own computer and to to look at fondly. Right. But uh, I I just really wanted to to get the photos right because you know you, you grow up with food magazines and you see like what photos should look like but when you take a photo of your own chow mein it doesn't look like that right yeah i hear you and what about you ken how did you what was your 
I had um, switch over to photography. Uh-huh. How'd that happen? I had no desire um, to be a photographer. It never came up. <laughs> and um, what I was doing was I was taking pictures at dinner parties in 2009, hoping I could drum up like a side business as like a party planner or something like I didn't know what I wanted to do but I wanted to have parties and use my you know my culinary background to have these small very engaging dinner parties that I would host and you'd pay money to come and do and uh, I was taking pictures of my wife's um, like D40 Nikon you know bottom of the wrong DSLR camera that she got for Christmas I know exactly what that is (laughs) she she, my wife took (laughs) photography as as a minor in college I, and she is a great photographer, and I never had any desire to be a photographer. I was taking pictures, putting them on Facebook in 2009 to drum up this side business, hopefully. And then people started to comment on the pictures, and they weren't really talking about the dinner party interest. They were saying, wow, you take good photos. And I, I didn't think much of it at the time. And, um, you know, thanks, mom, and whatever. Like, it wasn't, it didn't mean much to me. And then somebody who I didn't know in person, but just on Facebook, sent me a message uh, asking me what I charge to take photographs. And That's this, cool. He kind of, I, he assumed I was a photographer. And then I was like, hmm, wait a minute here. And I, I started to think about it as, you know, a side business. You know, I'd still be a restaurant consultant and cooking and stuff, but maybe I would do some photography on the side. But as I started to think more about it, and I did a few of you know small things for friends for free, just begging anybody I could to you know let me come and shoot something, uh, a fire ignited, and I just couldn't put it down. And um, the big, I think the big shift for me was um, I asked um, Susan Ungaro from the James Beard Foundation if I could shoot the James Beard Awards, um, just as an extra photographer nice. just to come and be a part of the event and you know shoot it. i've always gone to it but i wanted to sort of have play a role mm-hmm. and i was like you know i won't charge you anything but can i just come and do it and she was like sure so i rented a couple of cameras from a camera store <laughs> and i rented a camera strap i rented everything a flash camera strap and i was fully bogged down with gear that i had no idea how to even really operate at the time and um i ran into um mario batali at the awards and he's like what's with the cameras i'm like oh i'm a photographer now he's like oh really I said, yeah <laughs> that's what i'm gonna do now so and then he was starting a foundation at the time and uh he's like i got a foundation that's starting we have an event in a few months and then i learned that my friend billy harris was going to be a part of the events so i talked to billy about maybe let me come in and shoot it again for free again you know just whatever i can do to help and i don't know i just sort of I fell in love with it right away, taking event photography. And then Meyer liked it, and he decided he wanted to keep me on as his foundation photographer. And, you know, that when you get somebody like that out of the gate, you know, behind you, you two things happen. You proceed to know way more than you do, and I didn't know anything at all. And you're also proceed to, you know, be really good at because, you know, if someone like him is, you know, he can get anybody he wants yeah. to photograph whatever he, he does. Um, so I spent countless hours on YouTube. I didn't read any <laughs> that's, books. That's where you got your education. You, I, okay. I mean, for over a year on YouTube, six hours a night, learned everything I could learn about photography on YouTube. Amazing. Well, you, I was, I mean, as you were talking, I was thinking about having 
you guys certainly you have the eye for photography or something when you you see you can you can be looking at an event or you see the right angle to go at and i find for instance like on instagram when i post pictures i think every once in a while i post a picture i'm like that's I got it. I got the angle. I got. I got it. I got it. That's a good one. I get my twenty-four likes. I'm very happy. <laughs> and then I scroll through, and whenever I get to one of your pictures or a, a professional photographer's picture, it's always perfect. And there's a difference. There's a difference. So, whatever you've been reading, you or, or, or your YouTube uh, University. Yeah, <laughs> that's I, it, Melissa. Is that it? Because I think I. I don't know. I, I feel like there's this natural. <laughs> natural skill you have but maybe i should just get on youtube well, well, I, what you're no, saying? I, I hope <laughs> that you know most photographers who get into it have a natural eye for it. i mean i think we're visual people we we look at things and we not only look at them and pass by but we kind of study it i mean there, there's also the great rule of thumbs whenever you're doing photography which always help out beginners i mean the rule of thirds and just having you know isolating things and just looking for contrast looking for color looking for shapes and those all resonate with people because it's familiar it stands out it's something that that really makes a difference i mean a lot of iphone photography is a whole nother animal Mm -hmm. i mean i think um for instagram i mean that's a new completely its own new genre now there are iphone only photographers and it's just amazing what technology can do i mean it doesn't matter what tool you use i think once you you learn the rules and then you learn how to break them that's the really exciting part yeah well i was the opposite i broke all the rules before (laughs) they were rules i was like oh there's rules there (laughs) that's a real rebel they are very helpful Yeah, well, I mean, it's amazing, Ken, that, you know, you, how you got your foot in the door and took on a job maybe you weren't completely sure you could do, but you learned how to do it. You've, you've excelled at that. It's Mm -hmm. called balls. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. So with New York Magazine, Melissa, Mm -hmm. what was, how did you get that gig with them? That was a crazy story. Um, I was, I was uh, already halfway done with NYU, I believe. I was in school. I was browsing Craigslist looking for um, possible gigs because I was doing the same thing. I was trying to own my skills and, and farm out myself to anyone who would, you know, would hire me for free. I mean, their cost is very low. Just let me shoot something and I'll, I'll do it. I'll do my best at it. And um, I came across, um, this is when, I, I guess the internet was young, and they, they saw that the future of television was on the internet, and they wanted to create a food channel online. And they were looking for, I guess, hosts, they're looking for people to give ideas, looking for videographers to contribute anything. And it would be really, um, you know, a, a DIY project and everyone's out for themselves. So I went to this meeting. It's, it was pretty shady. It was in a random alley in Chinatown. It was raining and dark and cold. It's probably everything your parents tell you you shouldn't do. <laughs> and I, I walked in and um, I mean, there were great people. And one of those great people was Josh Ozersky. He was um, the restaurant, I think, contributor for Newsday at that time. And um, he was still in between gigs and getting into food writing and we all dropped our cards into a hat and just out of just randomly just out of sheer luck he picked mine and called me up the next day and said that he was trying to get something going and if i could work with him and i did it was a lot of fun stuff a lot of very low-key low-tech 
you know, food shoots and whatnot. But is, uh, that, is that? I'm sorry, photography and video because he did video or is this? um this was just photography, okay. but he was also um, messing around with video at that time, and so nothing came of it. I mean, it was, it was a lot of good eats, a lot of good times, but um, uh, there was nothing substantial. But a few months later, I mean, he was very good to his word, very good to me. He said, you know, Melissa, whenever you graduate, if you need a job, I'll do my best to hook you up. And he really lived up to that. He landed, he was the first editor for Grub Street when right. that happened. And he really vouched for me because they had a, they had a, it was New York Magazine. They have a slew, an army of photographers willing to do things for them. But he said that I worked with Melissa. I really like her. I trust her. And I want to use her. And it's worked out because yes. you've been with them for it's almost eight years now yeah yeah and i always see i know one of your steady ones is doing that that the daily diet the new york diet yes yeah which is i I, it's a lot of fun i try to read that every (laughs) week because it's it's always a good read it's very Mm -hmm. interesting all right cool well we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back on all in the industry and heritage radio network USA is proud to announce our Heritage Rare Breed Chicken Rotation. We've partnered with Frank Reese, the country's preeminent poultry farmer, to create an alternative market for non-industry bred chicken and show our customers what real chicken tastes like. Frank's chickens look and taste different from commodity poultry. They have not been genetically manipulated or pumped with antibiotics to increase their growth rate. Frank breeds and hatches his own birds so he can guarantee the finest animal welfare from start to finish. Every three months, Heritage Foods USA will offer a new, rare breed of chicken on our website and at the Heritage Meat Shop. Our inaugural variety is the Colombian Wyandotte. These birds are good for frying and are sought after for their fine texture, taste, and healthy lipid fine yellow fat. Heritage Foods USA is the only place you can taste these special heritage birds. Order today at heritagefoodsusa.com. Hi, welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. Today we're talking restaurant and food photography with Melissa Holm and Ken Goodman. So I wanted to see, so why both of you work with restaurants and, and, and chefs? Like, what's the draw for that versus photographing something else? Well, for me, I am a chef. So um, it was natural for me to use that already built-in Rolodex of, of friends and acquaintances um, to get myself in the door, right. you know, if you already you already liked me and I, we were, worked together and done something in the past, as when I was wearing a white coat, it's just now I'm carrying cameras and let's we can still hang out and have a good time, and so that was it was easier for me to do it that way, and I also shoot music because I the two things I love are food and music, so I I just decided that I wanted to focus narrowly on those two areas because um, I don't think I'd be happy 
photographing horses because I don't really, you know, NASCAR. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that makes so, sense. <laughs> and I said, I, I'm not going to work for anybody because I don't want to go on assignments and I don't want to mm-hmm. do things that are outside my comfort zone. I just want to focus on those two areas and make the best of it. And it's working out. It certainly is. And what about you, Melissa? I, I loved food. I mean, I was always an awkward child. So my only way to relate to people and not be awkward was through eating. <laughs> and I mean, I think it's the universal language. It's just the act of sharing a meal, coffee, tea. I mean, that's why we say that. Like, let's go Mm -hmm. out for coffee. It's a way to bond. So it was really my way to really um, to to experience different cultures and meet different people and really, I guess, absorb who they were and personalities. I really just really liked the act of that. So when I was going to journalism, it was just very natural. Like, what subject would I most want to write about and it was food it was culture food people experiences you know their passions and i i just love the restaurant industry i mean i'm married to a chef so it's kind of (laughs) i'm stuck there for life but um i really love the intensity and the passion i mean the the, they're a lot they're very hardworking people i mean it's intense and I really thrive in that environment because you have the the outside front, which is all calm and cool. You have white tables. Everything's polished. And back there, it's just frantic. And it's, (laughs) I I love it, though. But it's organized chaos. Yeah, true, true. It's a well-oiled machine. And they produce delicious food day in and day out. And it's a hospitality industry where they just want to take care of people. Absolutely. I don't know if I knew your husband was a chef. He is. He's um, he's right now with LDV Hospitality. Oh, And awesome. uh, he's running the, the Diamond Horseshoe right now. Oh, very cool. <laughs> I haven't been there yet, but... Um, it's a crazy show. <laughs> I would like to check it out. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds very cool. And um, so what are the challenges of working with chefs in restaurants? I mean, is it... Or, and also with Ken, I was thinking with live events... Is there that pressure to get the shot? You know, things are things are moving. <laughs> the rock stars walking by you with Mario <laughs> Vitale, Jimmy Fallon's, you know, giving a speech, and you have to like get that angle. I've learned um, through doing events, especially when they're star-studded, like um, they can be sometimes, is when not to take the picture. Um, I, I tended to at first, you know, wanted to shoot every single thing that was happening, and. It it doesn't need to happen that way, and I think you know what makes um, me you know palatable to be in the room with the camera is that I just choose my spots wisely and I don't overshoot things. And uh, Meyer was always said like you know he doesn't he never feels like I'm trying to fill my portfolio. Um, I just shoot what's necessary and yeah. um, make those count. And before when, before I knew enough, I would what's it called spray and spray and pray like i would shoot like take three thousand pictures hoping to get 100 that were awesome and because i didn't know enough about you know how to set the camera properly and make adjustments as i went so once i understood all that and technology behind the camera i could take much less photos and have a, you know a higher ratio of really good quality images that would uh, last every once in a while i do that I have to admit, <laughs> I do. There's that. Well, I'll just take a couple more. One of them will come out right. Yeah. yeah. But I think that's it for me. Is I, I really learned how to, you know, just be, be there without being seen a lot, and and take the images that are going to count, and not overshoot things. And um, I think that works for me. Yeah, it, it does. And what about with with food and restaurants? Is it? I mean, food photography is tough. 
it, it has a lifespan and it's very short. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. you have to work quickly. I, w- I would advise you know always set up early, earlier than earlier than they expect you, and use you know holders in place so you know what you're shooting and what angles you're going to get at it. Because once it's there and it's dripping or it's melting, you you have a very short time to shoot it. And so it's working quickly. It's, uh, you know, a lot of it's experience. I mean, it wasn't always perfect. So you learn from those mistakes. I mean, one time if an ice cream is, you know, melting way too fast and you don't get the shot, you know what to do next time to not let that happen. Yeah, well, I dabbled in food styling a long time ago as as an assistant food <laughs> stylist. And it was it was quite fascinating. But to see, I think nowadays it's it's become this more natural look for photography mm-hmm. than... I think back in the day when they were doing food styling, there was that gluing parts together or whatever. Oh, God, yeah. You're making things that weren't edible. I, but. Won't, I won't shoot any food that I can't eat or serve to me afterwards. <laughs> I'm, I, I tell chefs, you know, if, if the steak's mid-rare, mid cook it the steak to a mid-rare because that steak looks a certain way when it's, when it's reached that temperature internally. And I can always tell when, when a food image is just shot with marks on the top of the steak and it's not really authentically This is how you know your cook's cook because real chefs know that. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. that real food looks good. You don't have to fake it. Yeah. And I actually don't encounter a lot of um, fake propping glue or motor oil in New York City restaurants <laughs> because New York City chefs, I mean, they have so much pride in what they do that what they make can be edible and delicious looking. Mm-hmm. That it doesn't, you don't have to fake it. I mean, it's more of the commercial stuff, I would say, yeah. that, you know, uses the glues and, you know. Yeah, I agree. Wax, hairspray. And actually, this is a, a good segue into, last week I had on uh, Pat LaFrida. The man. The man <laughs> from Pat LaFrida Meat Purveyors. And I asked him to ask you guys a question. And so his question was, food photography is difficult, especially shooting meat and raw meat. Mm. Colors often don't look right. And he said on Instagram, they don't look right. <laughs> Can you give me some tips for photograph- for taking photos of meat and getting the colors right? And we were also talking about the inter- internal look of steak. Because I mentioned even... I think it's even taking a finished piece uh, picture of a piece of steak. I've found that that's challenging. He was talking also about cutting into the steak and the meat. So mm. what your tips are. And he also mentioned, Melissa, that you took some of his first photos. I did. So so tell us, how do you take a good picture of meat? <laughs> <laughs> Does he mean on Instagram or like in general? He mentioned Instagram, but I think I think... Well, I think now now what people like me were taking photos on iPhone were using Instagram because it helps you. Mm-hmm. It helps you make the picture look prettier. But you're the professional photographer, so how, however you want to answer it, you know, you're using a, a good camera versus well, an, a phone. But if you're going to use a phone, like I use editing tools, editing applications on my iPhone so that I don't just take the picture and put it on Instagram. I take the picture and then I got to put it into like Photo Toaster and or Ooh. another app like that and adjust the contrast and everything else and the tones so that once it goes on Instagram and it has my watermark on the bottom of it, which I watermark every picture I put on <laughs> social media, I try to. Um, it's it's already been you know tweaked and edited, even if it's an iPhone picture. So if, you know yeah. we're shooting with big expensive fancy cameras and we're shooting in RAW and we have fancy editing uh, software and our computers like Lightroom to really make sure the color corrections are, are, are proper. And, you know, we color correct our monitors all the time and to make sure that, you know, we're really 
you know, the yellows are true yellows and reds are true reds. So that helps a lot when you have all that technology behind you to make the image as true to life as possible. So, so oh, go ahead. No, so I, I do think that's number one. Just make sure your your colors are correct. I mean, know what color. I mean, it's hard for regular folks. I guess <laughs> the, the yes, civilians, that's regular folks, those pedestrians <laughs> out there. <laughs> But, I mean, it's very simple. I mean, you learn this, I think, in chemistry or what is that? that YouTube. On high school, YouTube, there you go. <laughs> that you have color temperatures that are measured in Kelvin. So you have, you know, usually most cameras start at 2500, which is what we call cold or blue kind of a light, which is, you know, like before dawn. You know, everything's kind of tinged with blue before the sun gets up. And then you have every golden warm lights, which are closer to like the 7000 Kelvin mm. spectrum which are, you know, that golden light that's very warm, very orange. And then you have all these unnatural, you know, let's say you have fluorescent lighting, which reads a little bit green. So you have to know what, what your light source is and what color it is. And then once you know that, even with when it's a cell phone shot or in Photoshop Lightroom, you can correct for that. Um, and that's how you get uh, your steak to not look at least black. So Pat and I need to go back to school for chemistry, is what you're saying. <laughs> YouTube. YouTube's fine. <laughs> and, but, but, yeah. No, that's... And that. I would say shooting on white. That's, if you're just shooting a plain raw chunk of meat, I think minimalism really helps there. Because that way, on white, there's nothing else to really interfere or distract you. you and you'll just see red and, you know, glorious fat. <laughs> Good to know. And but with the I I do use some apps on my phone sometimes to with Instagram before mm-hmm. and try and tweak it. So what are some of the ones you use, Ken? That I we should I know gravitate about? towards Photo Toaster. See, I don't know that one. Um, it just has a lot of and uh, sort of inherent sliders. Uh, I'm used to sliders and like Lightroom, so that it has that sort of um, platform. And I think it, you like sliders because you're thinking of the meat and burgers. <laughs> right. and, mm. um, it's just a way you can make the adjustments on okay. that, on the, in that app. And it, there's a lot of, you can do a lot with, with the color temperature and with, you know, uh, midtones and, and darks. And so you can get really, really good, well done, uh, color corrected images pretty fast with photo toaster. So I'll use that. Cool. I'm going to try that one. I think the one I've I've used is um, Snapseed. Sna- it's yeah, also that's another. It's a great one too. Yeah, but I don't know how to use it. I just keep <laughs> clicking like the check mark and moving it around. It's until a little it, more advanced. It's one of the few ones that allow you to spot correct yeah, the image. Yeah. See, that's that's one of the buttons I don't <laughs> I don't hit. I do the auto. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think Afterlight is really good too. Okay. Cool. I don't know that one either. All right. Great. So we're going to take another break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to do my speed round and talk some industry news. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. Welcome back to All in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests today are Melissa Holm and Ken Goodman. Okay, now it's time for my speed round questions. So, Ken and Melissa, I'm just going to name a few, go through a, a list of choices, things related to the hospitality industry, and you just name which, 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 which is your preference, whatever comes to mind, such as hamburger or hot dog. Oh, Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 not. You're, you'll be okay. People, I think I'm not going to lose to Melissa. <laughs> no, there's no there's no there winner. <laughs> I don't know. We could have we could have a contest, but there's no there's no winner. We're all winners here. <laughs> but we'll let Melissa Melissa go first. Ladies first. So here we go. Eat in or eat out. Eat in. Eat in. Wine, beer, or cocktail. Milk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm allergic okay. to alcohol. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't know that. Very cool. Milk, it is. I don't drink these days, but I would say if, if I were, it would be wine. High five. <laughs> <laughs> I don't either, by the way. All right. Um, tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Oh man, that's a tough one because I, I do. I like the tasting menu, but I know it's getting a little saturated. But if a good, if it's a good one, I like the tasting menu. Okay. It's a three-hour commitment, though. (laughs) How about small plates or large plates? Large plates. I like small plates. Uptown or downtown? Downtown. Downtown. (laughs) Restaurants or bars? Restaurant. Restaurant. Black and white photography or color? Color. Uh, Color for most everything. For food, I mean, black and white. Well, yeah, for food, <laughs> well, yeah, for food. But, but Ken, you've done some. I always I like, like black your black and, and white shots. Yeah. I like people in black yeah. and white sometimes. Um, you know, people's skin tones and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. when they're sweating at an event, I can, I can make them look better in black and white. So <laughs> it's really for them, not for me. <laughs> yeah, I would think food, though, is very challenging for black and white. Yeah. yeah. All right, how about natural light or studio lighting? Natural when possible. Natural is always the, main, the number one choice. Celebrity or celebrity chef? Celebrity chef. I don't understand. What I like better? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, or what you like shooting, or <laughs> well, you know, I'd say celebrity chefs because you know they're my people. Dessert or cheese plate? Dessert. Dessert. Last one: Manhattan or Brooklyn? Brooklyn. We're in Brooklyn, right? Yeah, but they're not going <laughs> to kick you out if you say Manhattan. No, I dig. I, I don't get her enough, but I really dig Brooklyn. Yeah. All right, here's to Brooklyn. Cool. You both win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's just my radio game. Have to, you <laughs> know, good. Have to spice it up here. What does it mean? Do I have a personality trait now? Yeah. Like, is I don't know. I think I think I'm at some point I'm going to have to go back and and tally all the answers, <laughs> be it, because it's interesting. A lot of people answer 
Actually, it started out people were more the eat out, and now I'm getting more eat ins. So I mean, I don't like being rushed. I like to be in my sweats. <laughs> I I have two kids and a wife. And I love cooking for <laughs> them. And you have a chef at home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> okay, cool. So now. For restaurant industry news of the week, a little discussion. So one of the things was um, this past weekend was the TEDx Manhattan conference. And I know, Ken, you shot shot at that. And I was home doing work and watching on the live feed. And, I mean, they were all very good good talks. And one of them was Tom Colicchio. um, I just... Epicurious wrote uh, there was an article about about the conference and the conference was called Changing the Way We Eat and so Epicurious uh, wrote down some of the quotes from it and one of them was from Tom Colicchio and it said people are not hungry because we don't produce enough food people are hungry for political reasons then he had this whole hashtag vote food Mm -hmm. and it was on Twitter and I think it created a a good buzz so what was it like being there? Uh, It's my second year shooting the event and it's incredibly inspiring because everyone that gets on that stage has something really valid and amazing to talk about and the way they focus on TEDx Manhattan it really is a, a food uh, TEDx discussion and that's I think that's the theme in Manhattan every year and it will remain so and what Tom was talking about in particular um, that that is exactly what the problem is and and people like like Tom and like Billy Shore and Debbie Shore from Share Our Strength and a host of others that um are deeply involved in trying to end this issue of hunger in America especially as uh, as it relates to children um know that it's not a food issue it is a political issue and um so Tom actually goes down and and speaks to Congress and uh, many others like him have done the same thing and lend their voice to try and make the change happen but it's a very very slow slow process yeah it seems so but he was a good, he was a really good speaker they were all good he said he told me that he psyched himself out he was he was pacing back and forth a lot um, <laughs> but he didn't lose he didn't lose focus on what his message was and I thought he did a great job but you know when you were watching on video I saw him pacing but it didn't seem it didn't seem rushed or anything it just seemed like he was kind of just moving yeah you know he was, <laughs> he was, he was working it a little bit <laughs> Scranton. Got it. Did you see that, Melissa? Or? No, I didn't. No. I didn't. You were out probably shooting some food somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, there was everyone I think was watching the Oscars that are Sunday night, and I figured I'd bring it up because when else would I get to mention Brad Pitt on my show? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, New York Magazine wrote, wrote about how the Oscars cameo gave the pizza joint that brought the pizza to all the celebrities, it gave them a 500% bump in online orders. And I just figured I'd mention that as a shout out to Big Mama's and Papa's Pizzeria, <laughs> that very good marketing PR there. And I have no idea how that came about. But you know how they got that pizza place but were you watching yes and i'm glad that ellen didn't you know, called up a small spot instead of you know like Domino's and right and now we know that brad pitt likes pepperoni and it seems it seems <laughs> i don't know it seemed pretty spontaneous the way it, it all happened i'm sure there was some sort of pre-planning involved but the way she presented it live i thought it seemed pretty genuine and i thought it was very funny how some people did take the pizza and eat it and dressed up how they were and wearing <laughs> you know, very fancy gowns and weren't afraid to take a bite of pizza. Yeah, no, true. And then the other big buzz was 
with the group selfie that they all took. Yeah. And, I mean, I've taken a selfie. I've never tried a group one, but I'm amazed they got that many people in that shot. Yeah. Most so, retweeted picture ever. I yeah. retweeted it right away. <laughs> I, I love the fact that, like, you know, she did that live on a show, and then right yeah. away I went to Twitter, and there it was, and the retweet. <laughs> I mean, that's just how amazing. It's relatable. It's how people are. Yeah. She's it's just how, it's how we've yeah. become. It was very, it was very cool. And I don't know. I don't know. Do you do you have tips on how to do a, a group selfie? Um, have a long arm, like she said. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Have Bradley Cooper take it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good, good tip. <laughs> okay. Now another article was in the New York Times today. Robert Simonson wrote about uh, these new cocktails that are coming out in as well. He was specifically writing about Wiley Dufresne's um, Alder, that they offer a cocktail as a regular size or a short. So the article is called The the Moderate Thirst or Budget. And I thought it was interesting because he was saying how you can go to a place and get a half glass of wine or a a sampling of whiskey, but really you can't get a half cocktail. But I don't know... what was interesting, though, the, he was saying these cocktails are the pre-mixed ones on draft. And mm-hmm. I don't know how common that is. I haven't seen it that much. I just I just did all of uh, the drink photos for Toro New York, and um, nice. they have they have several um, they have a selection of um, beverages available, alcoholic beverages available on tap, and there's also a, a, a big chalkboard that says cocktails on tap on it. So. I'm not sure how if it's a trend yet or or you know how many people are picking up on this fact, but um, what I did find, which is interesting, when I shot those images, was that first of all the, the cocktails are very inventive and creative, and they're you know um, bartenders and mixologists, some don't let me call that, but um, they're really using a lot of uh, savory ingredients and herbs and spices, and really making the cocktails. Um, the, f- the flavor burst that you're getting now from these cocktails not that I'm drinking them but I can smell how amazing mm-hmm. they must taste um, and they were c- they come in all different sizes so you know some of them were in short glasses some were in like, tall highballs um, so I really can't tell based on what the drink is how much th- uh, you're getting or why it's in a certain glass or if that's going to pose a problem certainly a half of that you know you're gonna, if, it's, if the drink gets served in a tall boy uh, uh, or highball, and you want a half it, is going to come, is the highball half full, or is it going to come into a, a, a rocks glass of some sort? Right. So I don't know how they, you know, what the vehicles are to, to make that accommodation happen, but I'm more celebrating the fact that cocktails and these restaurants are really a, just a step above now. Well, I, like, I like that idea, though. I have a lot of, you know, lightweight friends who'd rather <laughs> t- who taste, you know, rather taste a little more rather than drink, you know, be so committed to one 10 ounce drink. And I've seen a lot more wines on tap. I've never mm-hmm. seen cocktails on tap yet, but I think pre-mixed cocktails are a pretty good idea, or partially pre-mixed, and then you just finish it off with, you know, bitters or whatnot. I mean, that seems like a really a, a good, a good solution to overcrowded New York bars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. And I think I think it is a new trend. I think we're going to see more of it. So. I mean, Starbucks has a short. No one words getting out that they have a smaller size <laughs> than small. Or tall, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's funny. Whenever I go, go get coffee at a place not not a Starbucks, I always <laughs> I have the Starbucks lingo in my head. I'm like, just a small. I always, you know, you want to say a tall or a short. Or I refuse to use it. I say small, medium, or large. And my they always correct me. And I'm like, I want a small. <laughs> <laughs> the rebel. <laughs> Very cool. 
Okay. Um, the last thing I just wanted to mention was on Eater, Five Things You Missed on Heritage Radio. Episode 8, number 2, with Pat LaFrieda, my show last week, was on there. So I just wanted to Neat. thank. Awesome. Yeah, it's very cool. Very cool. So thank you, Peter Henry and Leila Kabiri, for including us. Okay, we're going to take one more break, and we will be right back with my solo dining experience on All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. To all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it's time for my solo dining experience of the week. Okay, so late last week, I was at a lovely breakfast, breakfast gathering downtown that Arlene Blake did, and I walked in, and who was shooting it but Ken over here. <laughs> I think I gave a little shriek when I was so excited to see him. <laughs> um, so it was down at Boulet Botanical, and uh, I was I was a little too it was lovely and I was a little too busy chatting then to eat so afterward I walked up the block well first I stopped at La Colombe I had um, a coffee there I did not say tall I ordered small <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, I did some work and then I headed over to Lotterie which is a French restaurant uh, that just opened in Soho, and they're known for their macaroons. They have an Upper East Side boutique that opened a few years ago, and this was a second location that's really a full-service restaurant, and it was it's in the space that was Barolo, and you wouldn't have recognized it because they really divided up the space uh, with with some individual saloons or salons, sorry, <laughs> and uh, it's a full-service restaurant, and it's it's beautiful. So I had a lady lunch, I guess you'd call it, which I don't know if anyone has ever used that term before. It's always ladies who lunch, but it's a lady lunch because they had this wonderful fine selection of teas. And I got the Marie Antoinette black tea, particularly because I like the name. (laughs) And I had salmon, which was, was very good. I enjoyed it. Service was a little slow at the beginning, but I think it was because of the rush at lunch and then, uh, it got better as my meal went on, and I think I think it will it will continue to improve um, because my waitress was really lovely, and she asked if I wanted dessert, and I said, "Well, why don't you surprise me with a macaroon?" So she brought me 
a chocolate coconut one. Not sure how she knew I liked chocolate, but she did, and it was great. So I will be back. I I, I would recommend it if you want to, you know, go for a a leisurely lunch and have some tea, some macaroons. Uh, And you can find out more information there at LotteryUSA.com. Okay, so we're getting near the end of the show, but it's time for the final question, which Ken and Melissa, either both of you can ask a question or one of you. But so next week on my show, it's going to, we're doing uh, restaurant websites is the topic. Mm. And I have on Crystal Mobayeni of Bento Box, which is, she's, she's she launched this um, service last year and she's, very, uh, she's really focusing just on restaurant websites. Um, and so she's going to be my guest. So what should I ask her? Anything in particular? Um, does she need a photographer? <laughs> All right. <laughs> she probably does. Um, I was, I was, I was going to give you advice. You want to ask her a question? That, that's no, I'm going to ask her a question. Like Pat asked you a question. I see. I see. Um, but you can give do you, if you have some advice. We can. I can also. I like, heard of Bento Box uh, when I shot with David Burke. I believe they were using it. Possi- possibly, I know she's doing uh, the meatball shop, mm-hmm. and then she also is working with uh, John Dory and that restaurant group. So it's it's really neat. I looked at the website. It seemed to to replace a lot of jobs. So like they have, um, they'll collect your PR. So that you have all your press clips together, and you may not need a a, a PR person, and they have um, Uh-oh. A, a calendar, <laughs> an online calendar, so that you can kind of you don't need a, a specialized person dedicated for managing your your events. And what else did they have? They had one more really neat thing: um, social media stuff. Like they'll they'll handle that all for you. And I think. Um, oh, they get they get rid of the middleman of the the web designer. I think they design your websites, and it'll be compatible compatible across all platforms like iPad and mobile and web. So with all the jobs they're eliminating, I'm just wondering how much money that they plan to save a restaurant when, when they use them and who actually picks up the extra work. Is it a general manager? Is it the owner who's supposed to, I guess, be managing the bento box from then on? Just wondering how it works. Oh, that's not to say Ken's question wasn't well, great, no, that's, but that's that a very good question. What, what Melissa said. <laughs> But when you said that, you know, um, and they is, do need photos because a lot of them they install like an outside menu box that mm-hmm. changes. It's like a TV screen, and they flash the whole menu. So of course they want gorgeous photos to lure people in, and they they have the menu scrolling. So it, it's really neat. I have seen it around. I oh. wonder also what what her take is on um, website designers in general and do restaurants. Restaurants are coming away from that. Some of them doing their own internal stuff. So they can they can add content easier and faster on their own once they get a template in place. And um, you know, what, where does she see the role of a website designer in terms of restaurant w- websites? Mm-hmm. Um, if that's a something a, yeah. a, a job that's maybe not as necessary as it, as it was ten years ago. Yeah. No, no. don't say that. Well, I I, I'm I'm very. And does she need a photographer? <laughs> You got it. I, I'm interested to talk to her because I think websites for restaurants have changed a lot since since I started working in the in the industry, and they started with so much flash and buzz and music to be cool, and mm-hmm. and now it's going simpler and 
restaurant websites have also been criticized a lot as far as like a general genre of industry like <laughs> because of that because you can't there are you, no phone numbers anymore you can't find the information <laughs> you need yeah. you know so i think what she's doing is very cool and um i will ask her that so thank you very much and thank you guys for coming out here thank today you for thanks us. for having us you're welcome. This was fun. <laughs> no, it was great to see I both so of you. I was so excited to meet, finally meet Melissa. Let's have fan. pizza. <laughs> it smells like pizza. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad I got to introduce you two, too, because yeah. you knew each other, you know, Thank you. by name, I guess. Mm-hmm. By, yeah. By photos. By byline. By photos. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so Melissa, we can you can find her at melissahome.com, at melissahome on Twitter, at melissa underscore home on Instagram. And Ken is at KenGoodmanPhotography.com and at KenGoodmanPhoto on Twitter and Instagram. And Facebook. And Facebook. Anything else? Got it. That's it. <laughs> That's all I can manage. That's a lot. You don't put out your home address there? <laughs> <laughs> For me, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, at All Industry, at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, and my website is BayerPublicRelations.com. Now, if you miss this live broadcast, you can find us archived on HeritageRadioNetwork.org and on Stitcher. Thanks to my engineer, Evan, Aaron Fairbanks, and Jack Inslee. I hope you enjoyed this episode of All in the Industry on Heritage, Heritage Radio Network. This is Sherry Bayer. Thanks for listening. Till next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Have a good one. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.